Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. You can see I've got the Oregon coast behind me today. The king tides coming in this winter and it is truly a blessing to be live and to be spending the Sabbath with you. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Tell me if you've got some uh, good audio and I can see the visuals looking good because I can see it behind me. Absolutely gorgeous day here on the Oregon coast. So give me um, a sound on, um, a thumbs up on the sound and we will delve right in to chapter 33 this Sabbath, Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel. I mean, what a gorgeous day. What a gorgeous day. I pray you are blessed enjoying this Thanksgiving weekend time with your families as we continue to press into Yahuwah in this tumultuous time in which we do live. Everything looking good? Let me just check here with you guys. Audio's good. Sounds good. All right. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, Shabbat Shalom. People from Iceland. I see we've got Mickey Rufa from Iceland. Shabbat Shalom. Lovely to see people tuning in from all over Tampa, Florida, Alma down there in Tampa, Florida. We've, of course, got our crew over there in Idaho, Baruch Hashem, New Zealand as well. What a blessing. What a blessing. Baruch Hashem, Yahweh, Illinois, people from all over. We truly, truly are blessed. The 12 tribes scattered abroad. Let's delve in to chapter 33. Give us some thumbs up. Give us some thumbs up and um, subscribe to the ministry channel. It really does help. You can also pop over to Odyssey over there. And um, we've back, backed everything up online there just because of the YouTube, you know, a lot of the stuff they've been taking down. So you can go over to Odyssey, check our stuff out over there. And please consider donating to Torah to the Tribes, and you can find the donation description down there in the description of this video below. Bless one another. Isaiah 33. This is a prayer for a time of deep distress. And in this particular chapter, Isaiah opens a window into a prophetic vision and it's about the misuse of power. And don't we live in a time, especially here if you're housed in the United States, what a misuse of power going on right now as we're printing more money and sending money to Ukraine and now off to Israel. And it's all about Isaiah is looking at this prophetic vision of a misuse of power. He's looking at unethical alliances. He's looking at the unethical alliances and the exploitation of labor and resources. And all of this comes under scrutiny in this chapter with the prophet urging nations to reconsider their actions and align with the principles of equity and justice. For justice to be just, it must be administered justly. And the prophet is calling here for us all to come to a higher standard, reminding the world that the true exaltation comes from ethical governance. 
And that's what Isaiah is talking about. Ethical governments and a commitment to the well-being of all, not just the few. Woe to you that plunders, and you were not plundered, and deals treacherously as they dealt not treacherously with you. When you shall cease to plunder, you shall be plundered. And when you shall make an end to dealing treacherously, they shall deal treacherously with you. So the literal rendering, it's confronting us with a principle of reciprocal justice. The destroyer and the betrayer. In their ceaseless pursuits, what's going to happen? They are destined to encounter the consequences of their actions. And today, nobody wants to take responsibility for their actions, especially governments, especially nations, and especially our government here, those of you that dwell within the United States of America. But here is what Isaiah is talking about. Actions bear their own seeds of retribution. Actions bear their own seeds of retribution. And then there's the prayer. Oh, Yahweh, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. So in the time we're living in, with nations that are inequitable, unjust, unrighteous, Yahuwah is calling us, just like the prophet Isaiah, implores divine intervention in the midst of chaos. And here we have the prayer, which is really just a call for grace, a call for strength in a time of trouble, and it signifies our perpetual yearning for our Father in heaven to guide us through difficult storms, life storms, just like the Jerusalemites were experiencing right here in the 33rd chapter. It's interesting, in the Hebrew, the plea for grace, is, it's, it's, it's really embedded in the word Hanan, Hanan, and it brings a deep sense of divine compassion. So verse 2, you're going to start to see this visual narrative begins to unfold because the invocation is to wait, to wait. And it's really expressed in the Hebrew verb that appears in the text right here, kawah, kawah. And it goes beyond just anticipation, but it signifies that we're to be patient almost like the intertwining of threads, much like the intricate weaving of a tapestry. Because here, if you look at the Paleo-Hebrew, the symbols reveal a hook, a nail, and a revelation, which is what? It's an invitation, if you look at the symbols, it's an invitation to secure our expectations firmly like a revelation that waits to unfold at its appointed time. But will you wait? Or will you try and push it? Or will you wait? 
Because just like a tapestry, sometimes if you flip the rug over on the other side, it just looks like chaos. But when you turn the tapestry over and you can see that it was securely woven, that the expectation of the master weaver was always there and that is firmly embedded now through hook and there was a revelation that was just waiting to unfold at the appointed time when the tapestry was revealed. So all right there, just within that one Hebrew word, you're seeing how Isaiah is speaking to the people. Hold fast in the midst of chaos. Hook in to Yahuwah. Let your expectations be on him. And at the time that he unfolds, Everything that he has for you in your life, that will be the appointed time. Then you will see the glory of Yahweh. Be our strength every morning, the text says. What is it? It's like a holy anthem, a holy prayer unto Yahweh, where strength, the Hebrew word there is oz, is not merely physical, but it almost like is like a fortified city or a fortified sanctuary, that we're to be that fortified city. We're to be that fortified sanctuary as we go to prayer in the morning, as we go into the word in the morning. And even there we see in the Paleo-Hebrew, we encounter an eye, a weapon, and a seed. So what's the picture conveying? It's a picture of perceptive strength because a weapon is a weapon of insight. Look at the weapon of insight and the seed. Do you have the seed of resilience that you're going to be able to withstand what comes against you? And then will you sow anew in faith every day? Think of those three things. An eye, a weapon, and a seed. You have the perception. You understand the revelation of Torah. Yahweh has brought you to understand the 12 tribes of Israel and who you are as the Israel of Elohim. Think about that perceptive strength. Then the weapon of insight, and then the seed of resilience that is sown anew each morning as you approach his word, as you approach prayer and the new day. That, that should encourage you. Look at the next piece of text that pops right out to me. Our salvation, Yeshua, in the time of trouble. Well, what does that paint? That picture is a poetic picture of what? Divine rescue. Divine rescue, salvation, Yeshua reveals his very essence even in the Hebrew right here. And what's the word picture here? You've got a hand, you've got teeth, and you have an eye. So what is he trying to convey through the text just in the Paleo-Hebrew? You've got a guiding hand, you've got protective teeth, and then you have the watchful eye. So really it's about a holistic deliverance in times of infirmity, in the time of our own tribulation, we see the hand, the teeth, and the eye. His salvation is to become that guiding light, that guiding hand, and protective teeth, and a watchful eye. 
So just in these very opening verses, I start to sense that I can wrap myself up in this tapestry of grace. This is truly what Isaiah is conveying to me. How about to you? Will you wrap yourself up in his tapestry of grace? which is really the comfort to your life, it can be found right here in these opening verses. Patience, strength, salvation. Do you realize that your life is a divine symphony? But you have got to learn to play the melody of hope, not the melody of fear and despair. And I'm preaching to the choir because I kind of can get a little bit melancholy at times. But I start to realize that my whole life is part of this orchestra. And this text to me tells me that I can wrap myself in his tapestry and then I have the melody of hope rather than the melancholy, fear and despair, which the nations are pressing in on us, especially today. So Isaiah, he calls us right here to wait in anticipation, to draw strength in the morning hours, to trust in the hand that guides, the teeth that protect, and the eye of Yahushua that is always watchful upon us. Look at these opening verses. They are a timeless invitation. Oh, Yahweh, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Think about this. It's strategic dependence. And people are like, well, I'm not dependent on anything. But we need to be dependent upon Yahweh. And that, my friend, is strategic dependence. It's an acknowledgement on relying on the Most High in times of most vulnerability. That's called life. How precious, how fragile it is. Look at verse three. At the uproar of your army, the peoples flee. When you rise up, the nations scatter. So now we're actually shifting in the text and we're now delving into power dynamics of the nations. You're going to see it now. Because the image, as we progress right now in verse 3, is an image of a commanding army causing a tumult among the peoples. And it unveils the geopolitical realities of dominance and submission. So look at our current geopolitical state. Look at the U.S.-Israeli state attempting to dominate the nations and drive them into military and economic submission through war and sanctions. And I say the U.S.-Israeli state because if you look at the top 70 leaders of the United States government, they're dual citizens of the United States and Israel. They have an allegiance to Israel before the United States. So what is this? This is what Yahushua warned us back in the scriptures. Because we've been taken over by those outside, those who say they are Jews but are not. And this has been going for hundreds and hundreds of years. But I believe we've come to this culmination now where there's this army causing a tumult amongst the peoples. 
and we are seeing it in our geopolitical landscape today. Now, let me explain that a little bit further, because this verse makes us consider the consequences of wielding power and the responsibility that comes in it. Because Isaiah, he's now giving us insights from the third verse on into the consequences of misdirected power, of unethical alliances, and the impact that these decisions will have on innocent lives, women and children. Isaiah is warning us about unethical alliances and misplaced trust. He's warning us about the unethical support that is sometimes provided to certain nations. Look what we're doing, Israel. Look what we're doing in Ukraine. We are giving these nations unethical support. How? Through these external powers, such as the United States and Great Britain. It raises serious questions to the believer about the morality of such alliances. And when I see Bible believers, Christian Zionists and Messianic Zionists going rah, rah, rah about everything that's going on in the Middle East, I wonder ethically, morally, scripturally where they're at. Because I don't see that in the Bible that we're to be supporting such things. Because a nation that places strategic interests over ethical considerations eventually brings about the judgment of Yahuwah upon itself. That's the message that Isaiah is unfolding here, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see. Because the mention of Yahuwah arising and lifting himself up can certainly be interpreted as a call for divine justice. Now, in the modern geopolitical landscape, the unethical backing, I think, of wars in Israel and Ukraine funded through deficit spending and the exploitation of the people's labor, it resonates deeply with what Isaiah is warning right here in this text. What is he warning about? He's warning us about the pursuit of national interests, irrespective of the ethical ramifications what does it lead to? It leads not only to a financial deficit of that nation, but of a deficit in their morality and their moral standing. Look at, look at the world we live at today. Morals have gone down the toilet. It's like we're living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and they love it. They misappropriate, misappropriate symbols of the Bible, and then they use it for their own pride and degradation. In the meantime, you've got all of these crazy Bible believers that are Zionists going rah, rah, rah for what's happening in Israel while innocent lives are sacrificed. To me, it's like, what Bible are you reading? It echoes the prophetic voice's concern in this text. And what is the prophetic voice's concern? For justice and the well-being of the vulnerable. That's what we should be looking at. For justice and the well-being of the vulnerable. Not polarization. Take this side or that side. Which side are you on? Well, I'm on the side of justice and the well-being of the vulnerable. 
How about that side? That's the side. Look at verse four. Your plunder, O nations, is harvested as by young locusts, like a swarm of locusts, people pounce on it. So the imagery here of locusts, what is it symbolizing? A devouring force. Anything that gets in their way, they devour. Anything that gets in the United States way, it devours. Think about the fleeting nature of material gains and the spiritual implications of insatiable greed. What is the true cost of victory? What is the true cost of gain? 33 trillion in debt, is that the cost? Now the Hebrew word here is choy and it's translated into the English woe. It's a prophetic warning. It's a prophetic call to attention, signifying impending doom if heed isn't taken. So you can kind of sense an urgency in Isaiah's voice here. Now, looking at the letters further, you can see the letter Vav appears in the text, of course, signifying a hook which connects things, as in the tapestry. But in the context of Isaiah's warnings, it symbolizes the interconnectedness of destructive forces. Do you see that in the nations now? All of the destructive forces are becoming interconnected and working together. And Isaiah is saying, where is the call from my people? The call for ethical conduct, for reliance upon the divine course of Yahuwah and an awareness that there will be consequences for supporting these inequitable actions of the nations. If you go rah, rah, rah for the Zionist state, then you will be held accountable for that too. Look at verse 5. Yahuwah is exalted for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion, Zion with Mishpat, judgment, and Zadakah, righteousness, and Chokmah and Da'at, wisdom and understanding, shall be the stability of your times. Where do we find stability? In wisdom and understanding, Chokmah and Da'at. And the strength of Yahshua and the fear of Yahuwah, that is his treasure. So he's telling you where true richness abides. See, their brave ones shall cry outside. The ambassadors of Shalom shall weep bitterly. The highways lie deserted, and the wayfaring man, he but ceases. He has broken the covenant, the Brit. He has despised the city, and he regards no man. The earth mourns and languishes. Lebanon is ashamed and cut down. Sharon is like a wilderness, and Bashan and Kamal shake off their fruits. Now will I rise, says Yahuwah. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. So we now come to this vivid description of Yahuwah's judgment upon the nations and the consequence of their actions. So Isaiah is instilling a sense of awe and reverence for the divine power of Yahuwah. 
Look now at verse 11. You shall conceive chaff, and you shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you, and the people shall be as the burnings of lime. As thorns cut, they shall be burned in the fire. So what's Isaiah portraying here? None other than the consequences of power dynamics among nations. Power dynamics among nations. You see, the imagery of burning thorns and being consumed by a devouring fire, what could that symbolize? Is it possible that it could symbolize the destructive nature of human conflicts and Yahweh's response to such injustices? That's what it seems to me when I read the text. And I have to do no further than look at Gaza and the Zionist state today and its U.S. political and military arm. How unethical their actions are. And a lot of Christian Zionists and Messianic Zionists are blind to see their unethical actions because they, they hear of Zion and Israel and they equate that to the Bible. But these are political entities. They have a form of godliness, let deny its power. You start going over to the Holy Land and you bring up the power of the salvation or the Yeshua and you will be spit upon. So what actually is going on is that we are seeing now the consequences of nations' collective behavior and the misuse of power. That's what we're seeing in the nations right now, and this is what Isaiah was prophesying. The burning thorns and the devouring fire, they are the result of a society driven by self-interest without ethical considerations. You see, power is a pervasive force, and today, the consequences of nations wielding power recklessly What's going to happen? It's going to inevitably face that nation facing the judgment of Yahweh because they misused power. They think they're going to get away with it. But the book of Revelation says the kings of the earth will hide from the judgment of Yahweh because you cannot continue to do what you're doing to the poor and downtrodden, to the women and the children, and expect to get away with it. Isaiah sees the collective nature of human behavior. He sees the impact of such human behavior on the destiny of nations. That's what this chapter is about. There's a call, and the call is to dwell in secure places. And this aligns with the idea that equitable and ethical behavior leads to a stable and secure society. Look at verse 13. Hear you that are far off. What have I done? And you that are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners of Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the heathen. Who among us shall live with the devouring fire? Who among us shall live with everlasting burnings? He that has their walk righteously and speaks uprightly. 
He that despises the gain of oppression, that holds back his hands from holding bribes, that stops his ears, his ears from hearing bloodshed, and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. And you're like, well, how do you hear bloodshed? Does the ground not cry out at the sound of the blood? It screams. It has a voice. Blood speaks. He shall live as on high. His place of defense shall be the strongholds of rocks. Lechem, bread, shall be given to him. His maim, water, shall be sure. Three things to take away at this point. Number one, divine judgment and restoration. The distress of sinners and the glory of the righteous. So we can see the imagery of Zion, Zion, and we can see the imagery of Jerusalem. This is the spiritual center of Yahweh's people. Look at the enduring struggle between righteous and wickedness. Number two is divine refuge. We are to seek spiritual shelter in times of trouble. Find solace in the unwavering protection that is only offered by the outstretched arm of Yahweh, his salvation, Yeshua. And number three, divine protection. Of course, the spiritual significance is Jerusalem. But we see the transcendent nature of Yahweh's presence there. And the letter Zadi, it's originally depicted as a fish hook. But what does that symbolize? That righteousness is a means of drawing and guiding. Righteousness is what is to draw us and to guide us. That's ethical, that's equitable. So there's a charge that is coming through the text here. And what is the charge? To uphold righteousness, to seek refuge, and we'll find that refuge in divine faithfulness. You see that tapestry of hope? You see that tapestry of grace? Look at verse 17. Your eyes shall see the Melech, the king in his Tifereth glory. They shall see the land that is very far off. Your lev shall ponder fear. Your heart shall ponder fear. Where is the sofa? Where is the scribe? Where is the weigher? Where is he that counts the towers? You shall not see a fierce people, a people of an obscure language that you cannot perceive, with a stammering tongue that you cannot understand. Look upon Zion, the city of our Moadim. Your eyes shall see Yerushalayim. It is a peaceable home. It is a sukkah that shall not be taken down. Not one of its hooks, not one of its pegs shall be removed. Neither shall any of its cords be broken. But there, majestic Yahweh will be to us a place of broad rivers and streams, in which shall go no boats with oars, neither shall large ships a passer by. For Yahweh is our shofet, Yahweh is our Torah giver, Yahweh is our Melech, our king. He will save us. Your ropes are loosed 
They could not well strengthen their mast. They could not spread their sail. Then, when, then is the prey of the great plunder divided. The lame take the prey, and the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. The people that live in it shall be forgiven their iniquity. So, I mean, it's kind of opened up, somewhat inspiring. Then we got kind of heavy. And now look at the transformation in the text. Look at the transformation of Jerusalem from a place of fear to a secure and flourishing city. That's what Yahweh is trying to do in us. Get rid of all the fear. And I know I've been a part of it. I mean, you trekked through Revelation with me during COVID, right? But we're now coming into a place where we're to be secure and a flourishing people, a flourishing city, because we've got our heads on straight. So the imagery of Zion and the tent evokes a sense of divine protection and prosperity. So ultimately, it's a vision of peace and prosperity under divine rule, is it not? The mention of Jerusalem as a quiet habitation. What does that point to? It points to harmony, a harmonious state. And that harmonious estate is found and achieved through the Malkit Zedek, Yahusha Hamashiach himself. And so you have to look at this and think about, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what you're going through, no matter what today's challenges are, a time of unparalleled peace, it awaits us. Just look at the eschatological fulfillment of Yahweh's promises. They're always there. The tabernacle and the place of broad rivers. I mean, this holds deep spiritual significance that's related to what? Spiritual abundance. Shalom, shalom. Repeated. Why? Because the emphasis on shalom, peace in these verses, it highlights the central theme of the text. It signifies not just an absence of conflict, but the presence of complete well-being, total superior spiritual health and prosperity. And that's what Yahuwah has. But you'll never get there, and I'll never get there, if we hold on to the yirah, the fear. We have to transform the fear into peace. And this, my friends, signifies a spiritual shift. A spiritual shift. A maturity. Because with the removal of fear comes the hallmark of divine intervention in my life and the establishment of a secure house. You, me, a secure dwelling. Every morning, in prayer, in word, in action, and in deed. In fact, the letter Shin here, originally depicted as teeth, symbolizing, of course, sharpness and oppressing, crushing context, but in this context, Isaiah conveys the idea of Yahweh's sharp protection. That's his security to you and to me, his people. 
What could be used for bad and scariness and fear is actually used for good. Sharp protection. Look, depends how you perceive it. Can you and I really grasp and rest in the power dynamics of divine peace? That's the question. I wrestle with it because I can go to the fear, to the apocalyptic. But then... I want to get into the power dynamics and turn it into divine peace in my life, become a sure house, a strong foundation. I want to remove my fears because then I'll find that ultimately I am flourishing in Yahweh's blessings and I didn't even realize it right around me, all before me. And people will fall back into fear amongst the turmoil of the nations. But we shouldn't. We shouldn't. Because as his treasure, the Hebrew word there, otzar, it means that you are Yahweh's depository. You are Yahweh's spiritual armory. You are a seller. You are a storehouse of his wealth. Once the Ruach HaKodesh has been deposited in you, and you can gain access to that depository, that spiritual armory, any time you align yourself with Yahweh's equitable justice, which is Yahusha, the Malkitzedek. That's the message I have for you today. In this crazy world that we live, these nations roaring and trembling, Isaiah tells us what will happen to them. And he also tells us how we can ascend out of the chaos and hold fast in the spiritual armory of Yahweh. That's chapter 33. No tidal waves have pursued me. I'm at peace. Look, it looks pretty good. I think. Yep, looking safe so far. I'm a little higher up, as you can see. Gorgeous backdrop, isn't it? That's what I've got for you today, Isaiah chapter 33. And if you want to um, get my attention, I went quite 38 minutes. That's pretty good, isn't it? But, you know, didn't want to go on and beleaguer the point too much. If you have anything that you'd like to say, pop it up into the chat. Let me just refresh the chat. And again, subscribe to the ministry channel. It really does make a difference. Get those subscriptions up. And give us some thumbs up. It really helps. And please do consider donating to Torah to the Tribes. And you can find out how you can donate in the description below. Go to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. We've got the Shabbat Fellowship Group. We've got the men's group, the women's group, the prayer group. We've got groups six days a week. And remember, save up your money so you can come to the feast. That's a commandment so that you can be gathered at the three annual pilgrimage feasts of which we celebrate. Passover is, of course, the next one. So praise Yah. And um, let me see. Which beach are we at? We are at, of course, in the great Pacific Northwest here, just south um, of um, Lincoln City actually, a um, place called Glen Eden. Glen Eden. It's a beautiful, beautiful beach area. So um, really blessed to be able to be over here, walk on the beach and uh, walk off all that food that we've been plowing down for days on end, it seems. But uh, 
Rukashem, Yahoo, or anybody else here? Jack's Temple Health. No, we do not. I do not celebrate Hanukkah. And I've got a great teaching buried in the archives somewhere. I think I'm wearing a crazy hat. I'm sure I am back in the day. Um, yeah, just look up one of those teachings on why I don't celebrate Hanukkah. Um, and I also don't celebrate, celebrate Purim. I think the seven biblical feasts are, are good enough for Yahuwah. They're good enough for me. But that's just my opinion. Actually, it's not. It's Yahuwah's opinion, um, which makes it our burden. But it's a light and easy burden, is it not? Much rather be doing that than a lot of other things that people are going to be doing in the next few weeks. Bless one another. Bless one another. And again, make sure you connect with one another on our groups and on our connective sites at TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. And Shabbat Shalom to all of you. Be inspired. Stay strong. Yahuwah is faithful. His word is true. And we are a blessed, blessed people. Shabbat Shalom.